Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night. And uh, this is the last show of the year. And the last, uh, uh, and uh, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. The whole year is gone. Uh, mm-hmm. In the studio with us, we have uh, George Venizelos, the former head of the F- uh, FBI in New York. The, uh, what's the exact title, George? Assistant Director in Charge. Assistant Director in Charge of uh, the entire area. And uh, former Governor uh, David Patterson and uh, Lydia Serrani. And we have a special guest, I understand? Absolutely. absolutely. We have the <coughs> NYPD Commissioner, Keyshawn Sewell, and she is the 45th New York City Police Commissioner and the first woman to ever hold that position. Welcome back to Cats at Night. Thank well, you so much for having me, everyone. Uh, give it, you know, it's the end of the year. I can't believe it's the end of the year. And tomorrow you have one of the biggest events in New York history. You have uh, the, the New, New Year's Eve. And I understand you're going to have, uh, tell us about it. You're going to have a big, big uh, crowd. Yes, sir. So as you know, last year we had the COVID restrictions. There were about 15,000 people there last year, and this year we're back to full strength. But, John, I have to tell you, we started planning for this event after the confetti fell last year. We've been able to drive down shootings and homicides this year by double digits, and major crime has decreased for the past rolling seven and 28 days. We are absolutely laser-focused on the safety of the city, and that includes tomorrow's New Year's Eve celebration in front of the world. Well, I, I think uh, the, the entire world is looking forward to it because uh, I always considered New York City the center of the world, and uh, um, and uh, it's it's the greatest city in the world. Um, to Governor Governor want. Patterson, you wanted to say something. Happy New Year, Commissioner. I wanted to ask you. Those are some pretty stunning statistics uh, compared to what you might think when you read the newspapers. Uh, do you think that the reason that the fear is still up, even if the crime is down, is because the crimes are not being committed in centralized areas like they used to years ago, but are actually being committed anywhere in the city, including Midtown, the Upper East Side? There's no place where there hasn't been a major incident. When it happens in New York, like John said, it's on the eyes of the whole world. So we've had spikes in uh, different areas across the city, but we're focused on our plans of deployment and investigation to be able to drive that down. We say all the time, it's not just a matter of being statistically safe. People have to feel safe, too, and that's what you're talking about. Exactly. There's a lot of controversy going on in Albany this week. The governor's being uh, sworn in on Sunday, and and we're praying that she negotiates a, a a bail reform law, but give us your vision of 2023, what you hope to accomplish. Well, I want to continue to make sure that we drive down crime in this city. That has been our focus from day one, but we also have to continue to build bridges with our communities. I'm going to still advocate for legislative changes, obviously, that will help us overcome some of the challenges we have. I've been saying this all year long, that judges have to have the ability to determine if someone is a public safety risk when determining whether to remand set bail. Uh, It's something that I've said and I'll keep saying one of our other problems is recidivism as well. Uh, So we'll keep beating that drum all year long. And uh, I expect us to continue to have the success we've had in uh, the trending downward of crime in the city. George, you had a question for her? Commissioner George Venizelos. um, Hi, George. How how are are you? you? (laughs) Having worked worked seven of these um, New Year's Eve, tomorrow uh, it's going to be 50 degrees. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That brings out more people. So I know you're going to have your hands full. But I just want to say that 
the work the NYPD does on New Year's Eve is is second to none. You know, it, it's it's amazing, and and I know um, you you guys have it. You people have it down to a science. It's amazing with the work that you guys do. George, I agree with you. Uh, the NYPD is extraordinary, but I just want everybody to know that, as always, you will see thousands of uniformed police officers out there on post, in addition to the many officers that are going to be assigned patrolling our neighborhoods, streets, subways, and housing developments. We want to make sure that everyone is moving around the city and enjoying the festivities, but I do want to let people know there are no, there's no alcohol, no coolers, no backpacks, no umbrellas, and they're uh, predicting rain. Uh, you're going to have to get a poncho or a hooded shirt or something like that, and there are no lawn chairs at all. I want people to know also that there are no public restroom facilities in the secure viewing area. For personal necessity, you're going to need to leave the area and then be rescreened before you are allowed to reenter the area. Wow. Uh, that's good. Uh, what else would you like to tell the public to put It's going to be a long weekend. It is, I would say, but I do want New Yorkers to know that there are no specific or credible threats directed at New York City or any of the events surrounding New Year's Eve. But I do want people in New York City to remain vigilant. Every day and night, there are millions of eyes across New York City, and tomorrow there's going to be so many more. If something doesn't look right or makes you feel uncomfortable, you can tell a police officer, call 911, or our Connor Terrorism Hotline at 888-NYC-SAFE. We'll be out there. We want everybody to know we want you to have a good time. But if you're looking for trouble, what you will find is the NYPD. I want everyone to have a great time, and I wish everyone a happy new year. Happy New Year, Commissioner. Happy New Year. Happy Thank new you year. so much, Commissioner, uh, for coming on. And uh, uh, hopefully we all have a healthy and great New Year. Thank you. Be well. Good night. Be well. And now on the line we have a Tom Harris. He's the president and COO of the Times Square Alliance. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Tom Harris. Thanks for having me back. And John and Lydia, tomorrow night the world is going to see how safe New York City is, how safe Times Square is. And it's safe because of the hard work of the men and women of the New York City Police Department and all of the policies and strategies of Mayor Adams. And, and Tom, uh, you know, WABC and ourselves have always been behind the NYPD, have always been behind you uh, and uh, Times Square because we love New York. And that is so obvious. And, and I just want to let you know that I listen to a lot of talk shows, and you are the only ones that are in this week. Everyone else has substitutes, so <laughs> Well, you know. Uh, John doesn't sleep. We, he never takes off. <laughs> we try, I'm used we to try being to in on the difference. holidays. We try to make a difference. Uh, what would you like to tell all New Yorkers that uh, may plan to be coming down? So we are very excited to welcome everyone back to Times Square tomorrow. We have had New Year's in Times Square throughout the pandemic, but tomorrow we are inviting everyone back. There are no capacity restrictions, no COVID restrictions. We want people to come out, have a great time. Uh, it's going to rain probably during the day. Uh, as, as the commissioner said, there are no umbrellas allowed, so bring a poncho, uh, bring, a rain, bring rain gear, bring a sense of humor, and we're going to have a great time in Times Square. We have we have two dance shows, and we have nine musical performances in Times Square. It's going to be a fantastic night. If Dick Clark comes, I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Harris, you're expecting a record turnout because there was the lockdown. There were the COVID restrictions, and now with 50-degree weather, are you guys ready for the crowds? We are ready, and the city is ready. We couldn't do this event without the fantastic partnership of the city of New York. Every city agency uh, along, 
along with the mayor's office, the police department, they all come together to make this event a success. Uh, we've seen our restaurants sell out earlier than ever. So, yes, we are expecting record crowds in Times Square, and we are welcoming them back. Well, I don't envy you. Sorry, your your job. It's not an easy one, but you do a great job, as always. We never hear about any incidents on Times Square, about Times Square on New Year's Eve. So, you you know, it's just amazing what, what everything that you guys do. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else tomorrow night than in Times Square with my work family, with my family, celebrating a great year and looking forward to an even better year. Well... Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, we look forward to um, I'm going to be watching you on television probably because uh, right. most of the people that go to Times right. Square, they're not New Yorkers. What, more than 90 percent? What What is the estimation? How many people, Tom Harris, are actually from New York and how many people are actually from out of town? So it's really hard to say. We're not sure about that. But I can tell you one thing. Once they come here. They have the resolve of New Yorkers. They have a fantastic spirit. Uh, they're in the viewing areas, cheering, yelling. It's just a, a festive environment in Times Square, and, uh, and it's, it's a great night. It's a great night to be a New Yorker. It's a great night to be an American. The eyes of the world are on Times Square tomorrow night. Well, thank you so much, Tom Harris. Let's take a break, and we're going to come back with Zach Williams, the uh, a reporter uh, with the New York Post from uh, Albany, to find out what the heck is going on in Albany. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Happy New Year, and with us today is Zach Williams, and he's the New York Post uh, uh, lead uh, editor for Albany. And uh, Zach, uh, this has been a busy week uh, with New Year's uh, coming. Boy, it sure has been. You know, right before the Christmas holidays, the lawmakers, of course, came back to Albany to give themselves a controversial pay raise, and things have only gotten more exciting for from there. You know, one of the big things going down in the, in uh, state politics right now is this surprisingly fierce opposition to Governor Kathy Hochul's pick to lead the Court of Appeals. You know, organized labor. Um, progressive uh, criminal justice reformers and members of the state Senate itself say they do not support Hector LaSalle to lead the court. They say he's just too conservative, too centrist, if you will. And now enough Democrats have said they will vote no, that Governor Hochul is either going to have to get some Republicans to support this uh, judicial nomination, or she's going to have to somehow get some of these Democratic senators to change their mind. Neither of those is going to be particularly easy. And it's just really an unprecedented confrontation between a governor who and the legislature. The legislature has never rejected a judicial nomination before uh, to the Court of Appeals. So we'll see how that's going. Of course, the governor is going to be inaugurated this Sunday to her four-year term that she won in November. And, you know, Governor Pataki just, you know, told us, my colleague Carl Campanile earlier today that, you know, the fight over this nomination could define her governorship for years to come. So we're going to see what happens there. Of course, we've got the state budget coming up. And then, you know, even in Albany, you can't ignore the situation with George Santos, the uh, embattled uh, congressman-elect in, uh, on Long Island. You know, it's been uh, less than two weeks since, you know, just all these reports detailing how he lied about everything from graduating from college, working for Goldman Sachs, owning real estate, 
and even being a, quote, proud American Jew. And, you know, there's really kind of nothing nobody can do about keeping him from taking office, but at least in the short term. But county and federal prosecutors say they're investigating him. Local Republicans are now distancing themselves as much as they can. And the Democrats are just hammering Republicans for letting this guy, you know, slip through the cracks, get elected to Congress. And, you know, we even got a national security expert saying this guy could be a potential espionage threat. You know, exciting times to say the least in state politics. Uh, I, I, I agree, uh, but uh, I hope, uh, uh, why did Kathy Hochul uh, not uh, make it, uh, uh, why did she sign the raise uh, bill without making a deal on the other bill? It's funny you should mention she hasn't signed the pay raise bill quite yet. Now, of course, she initially said, hey, they deserve a pay raise, you know, as long as they approve some limits on outside income. But then, you know, there's a bit of political blowback, and uh, the governor's office reportedly tried to get some changes to bail reform, either because they were serious about getting in exchange for approving the pay raise, or they just kind of wanted to put something in there in the mix that would kind of, uh, you know, basically be a poison pill and uh, lead to no pay raises at all and then deal with it in the next session. And bottom line, does that mean that uh, it's going to be a midnight uh, deal? Well, we're just going to have to see. You know, the governor had 30 days from when uh, – the state senate had 30 days from when she announced her pick before Christmas to consider uh, whether or not um, to approve the nomination of Hector LaSalle. <laughs> In that same period, uh, Hochul also must decide whether to sign or veto the pay raise bill. She had 30 days to do that because of uh, some technicalities with the timing. And then, of course, she's going to unveil her budget by January 20th. So, I mean, there are plenty of opportunities for political horse trading here. And, you know, all we know right now is that 12 lefty state senators say they do not support LaSalle. That leaves, you know, uh, 63 seats, uh, 12, at least 51 other state senators who may or may not vote yes on this, depending on maybe what the governor offers in return, not least signing into law that pay raise that would bump their pay all the way from 110 to $142,000 a year. And it's only going to cost us a few, a few billion dollars for the taxpayers. Yeah, you know what's 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 a few billion dollars here for uh, for some you know yeah, uh, political uh, for, for listen, uh, the majority party. Can we get a tax cut if we offer them a double raise? <laughs> I think now's a good time to call your state senator and make that case. Yeah, we'll give, we'll give them double coupons if we get a tax cut. What's in it for the old adage, Happy New Year, what's in it for us? Well, unfortunately, what's in it for everyday New Yorkers is, you know, whatever, uh, you know, Albany Democrats uh, or Republican state senators, for that matter, might get. You know, the election happened, uh, you know, a little over a month ago. Voters had their say. And, of course, you know, as one longtime uh, Albany hand said, you know, it's after the election that the real politics get going. And, you know, whether it's the governor who was just elected to a four-year term or the state legislators who were elected to two-year terms, you know, now's the time when, unfortunately, voters just don't really get much of a say, at least at the ballot box. Well, thank you so much, Zach Williams. And I think we got to stay day by day to find out what the heck is happening by midnight tomorrow. Oh, boy, we sure got to keep an eye on them. You never know what might happen here in Albany. Thank you so much.
Wow. Governor Patterson, I have to ask you, as somebody who is the former New York governor, does Kathy Hochul have any leverage here? She has uh, time to sign off on the, the pay raises. Can she use that as leverage to get what she wants when it comes to Judge LaSalle, as well as when it comes to some bail reform, get get the judges the discretion? She's holding all the cards here because she has 30 days to decide whether or not she wants to sign this bill. Now, Usually a governor only has 10 days, but they get a longer period of time because they get the legislature not to send them the bill. It's when the bill is sent to the governor. But in this case, if a bill is passed within the last 10 days of the year, she has 30 days. So she has 30 days to January 23rd or whenever it is to decide whether or not she wants to sign that bill. Here's where her leverage really becomes dominant. If she does not sign the bill, in other words, she doesn't sign the bill, it's a pocket veto. It doesn't go into into, uh, effect. If she vetoes the bill or doesn't sign it, the legislature cannot override the veto because they're now in the 23-24 session and the bill was passed in the 21-22 session. Wow. So it's either the governor has fallen into a great situation or she's been ahead of all of us and planned it this way and is going to get her pound of flesh from the legislators. Is it possible that the other one, the, uh, Mike Canaris and the other senators are just jumping up and down to show that they, oh, we tried? You know, in terms of getting um, rid of the judge? Right, yeah. they're pandering to the base. They're pandering to the base. In that, other words, well, we tried to do it. But, that's... Uh, that's always possible. That's always possible because, frankly, uh, there are a lot of people. Uh, so I have friends that live on Long Island, and yeah. they say that the judge is a very nice person, lives in Suffolk County, and is a Democrat. And then they say in name only. So he's always been to the center or a l- little bit to the right. But this is the governor's choice. And if you are going to try to take the governor's choice away from her, and there are only 12 of you. I I I bet that if there are only twelve of you, she's only got to find to to get the bill passed. She doesn't. She's really only has got to find thirty two people who are for it. And in my opinion, twenty of them are Republicans, twelve more Democrats, and she's in. And now they have had a resounding defeat, and it's a major victory for her. Real quick, wow. Governor Patterson, what would you do if you were <laughs> Kathy Hochul? Uh, if, if I was Kathy Hochul, I don't know that she didn't do this, but I would have really, if I was going to appoint a judge where there was, you know. No, but right, right this moment that she's in this kind of. It, I, I, would, um, I would tell the legislature, you know, I think you better get in there and vote for my judge, because if you don't, you're going to lose money. Boom. All right. Mic drop there. Thank you so much. And now we're going to go over to Ryan Payne of Payne Capital Management. That's Payne with a Y, P-A-Y-N-E. He also has a show every Saturday right after Larry Kudlow right here on WABC Radio. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Ryan Payne. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Give us a, uh, is it going to be a happy new year? Give us the pulse of how the markets ended up uh uh, today and uh, and how how do you think uh, it, it seems like there, there there wants to be a little bit of give in interest rates? What say you? Yeah, I think you're right about that, John. I mean, we're we're definitely off the peak. If you look at the ten year, which is kind of a litmus test 
where where interest rates are going to be. Right, we're down from the high of something like four and a quarter percent, trading more like three point seven percent today, which says to me what markets are telling you in the future is inflation is probably going to be lower next year. And that's absolutely a really good thing, right? I mean, everything we've heard about this year is how inflation is eating away at purchasing power at a 40-year higher than inflation. So I think, you know, going to next year, the fact that we're going to see some easing when it comes to inflation um, is going to be a really good look for the economy and hopefully a nice recovery in the stock market. I mean, you know, tech stocks are down over 30% this year if you look at the NASDAQ. Um, meanwhile, the Dow, which is kind of your old school index of older school companies, was only down 8%. So it really depended on how you had your portfolio diversified this year. But tech got hammered. But not every sector did. Banks got hammered. Uh, tech got hammered. Um, they did. But even, even if you look at banks, uh, financial is actually only down closer, like call it like, let's say, 12% for the year. So they actually did hold up on a relative basis a lot better than other sectors of the economy. So I would even say there, I mean, even the fact that the banking self wasn't horrible uh, says to me that we're not going into some dire recession next year like a lot of these economists keep telling you. And I've always been, I've been countered to that all year, and I'm, I'm holding to it. And unemployment is still low? Yeah, very low. And I think that's the, that's the hard thing um, to reconcile when you hear all these economists talking about a dire recession next year. It's hard to do that. When wages are going up and employment's as low as it is, and meanwhile, you know, I say it every week I'm on your show, John. It's just we have a labor shortage in this country, and the Fed can't fix that. You know, they, they can't create workers out of thin air, and that's going to be a big problem moving forward for quite a while. I agree. Uh, we got a minute or so left. What else would you like to say? Um, I think other than that, I'd say, look, I mean, I think be optimistic going into next year. Um, I think the bottom line is it was a painful year, no pun intended. Um, in the stock market, we had a lot of volatility this year, a lot of uncertainty. But I think going into next year, what you have to look at again is what we just talked about. Like inflation is coming down. Um, jobs are abundant in this country. And I just think that Americans are resourceful. They figure out a way. It's hard to bet against the American worker. And I think if you look into next year, optimism is the play here. So as I always like to say, John, be bullish. I'm bullish on America. And uh, I think the optimism always reigns when uh, you think about the country long term. Well, thank you so much, uh, Ryan Payne. And you're going to be on tomorrow right after Cudlow? It's the best uh, hour in radio besides your show, John, from so 1 o'clock to 2 o'clock, yep. the More Money Show. Steve Moore and uh, Ryan Payne and your dad. And, uh, uh, you know, you, you really find out what's going on in the markets when uh, we listen to you. That's what I'm here for, John. You know, so be there, be square. I'll be listening. Thank you and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Now, when you look at the market as a whole, we've seen the worst year since 2008. Right, George? You right. saw that as well? Right. right. Hopefully 2023 will be better. John, what is your prediction? I, I think it's not going to be as bad as people saying it. And my feeling is, you know, I predicted the price of uh, oil going down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think we're at the same place with interest rates. I think you know, unless the Fed lowers interest rates, you're going to have you're going to you're going to break something that's not broken. Right. I mean, you know, I don't know what economics books they're looking at. Why break something that's not broken? I think it like when they raise the interest rate, it's almost like artificially like messing with the numbers, the inflation rate yeah. and all that, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It's totally 
Because you go to the supermarket, you see there is definitely inflation. Well, we're going to be taking a break, and uh, we're going to be listening to Lou Dobbs, which is going to tell us what happened in the markets today. Let's take that break. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. This is our last show of the year, guys. So we're going to go out with a bang, a live show, unlike so many others. We have Governor <laughs> Patterson in studio, George Venizelos, John Katzmatidis, and myself. Now, there was some breaking news a short time ago that... Uh, Idaho police, they made an arrest in that quadruple murder of those four university students. The suspect is 27-year-old Brian Koberger. He lived nearby in an apartment. He was getting his Ph.D. in criminology. George, we got you here. What do you think? Sources are telling CNN that there was DNA at the scene. What is your assessment? Well, first of all, he he was charged, you know, and, and unfortunately with Idaho law, I think there were, if you, anybody who watched the press conference saw that uh, they were very careful not to talk about the affidavit. Um, so we'll find out more more next week. But the fact that they've been charged, they probably have some type of DNA. They mm-hmm. probably have maybe a witness or something like that. But also, what I think what the chief, I think the chief, for, this is a small department, and mm-hmm. this chief did a really good job if you watched it. You know, this is a chief of a very small department and is on a national stage now. Moscow and he, police. Right, and he, Moscow police, and he was very careful of not to say anything because you don't want to jeopardize the investigation. You still, have to, you still have to convict this person in a court of law, so you have to be careful with the evidence. But they, you never have enough evidence. So the, the, like what they said was true. Now, now the work starts. You know, they're going to try to get more evidence and try to compile and see what other people know. The prosecutor, he made an interesting comment, I thought, during the press conference. He said, anybody that knows anything about right. this suspect... Give us a call. What do you think that means? Well, I, I think they're trying to maybe trying to figure out what the motive was. Did he have infatuation with one of these girls? Was he rejected, or was he just a crazy person, mm-hmm. or is he a serial killer? You know, we, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that they have to find out. Mm-hmm. Now, the press is already, you know, every hour they're writing articles about the guy. You know, they're doing their little digging and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, you know, I've been part of this big cases with a press kind of tries to take a life of its own, mm-hmm. and that could be very dangerous at times. And I think they did a really good job of not saying much today. I know it's frustrating, but you don't want to taint the evidence. You, you, you may still be looking at some leads. You don't want to tip off anybody. You know, so I think I think they did a pretty good job today. Overall. And you don't want to see that not guilty verdict when exactly. it should have been guilty. Yeah, because you you tainted that evidence. Or right. you, you, wow. You know, that, so, so they have to be very careful, and I thought they did a, a decent job. I really do. And now he was arrested in Pennsylvania. He's going to be extradited to Idaho. He'll have another court appearance. Also, I want to ask you, what do you think about all the Internet sleuths and all the slandering, especially? Well, I think that's a problem. That's the problem of today's media. Today's Mm -hmm. media, you know, they had an ex-boyfriend. The media was trying to convict him on the the websites. That that person should sue, Mm -hmm. you know. know, and, And I think, again, the media can't help itself. Mm-hmm. It's they a beast that has they, to keep yeah, feeding. they, they got to keep feeding it. that 24-7, and they have to come up with stories, and they want to break it. Sometimes yeah. they want to break before the investigators do. Most times they help. In this case, they probably helped a lot by keeping us a national. But in some cases, they're over 
aggressiveness could hurt a case. Now, this is pure speculation. My last question: He was studying criminology. That kind of that freaks me out. Maybe a little he was bit. looking for the perfect crime. I know yeah, that's yeah. what I said. That's I mean, what that's I again. That's, I swear that's what I was thinking. But that's what a people, like a thrill killer. That's what or people read all these books. I know. You I know, read a lot of books. But, a lot of law and order. But you don't know. You can't eliminate anything. You don't know. We don't know. Don't Thank know. you so much, George, for filling us in. And do we have our next guest on the line? We do. We have Eric Levine. Um, welcome back to Cats at Night, sir. Good to be here. Thank you very much. And you're a litigator and the head of the litigation and bankruptcy department of Eisman Levine. He represents uh, both uh, plaintiffs and defendants and clients. So uh, welcome. Uh, tell us uh, what's on your mind, sir. Well, I think we, we've been I think the most topical thing right now is George Santos, the uh, execrable congressman for well, the congressman elect from Long Island. I mean, I think we could all stipulate that the guy's a creep. What he did was completely inexcusable. <laughs> I love that. And he may well. And he may well be mentally ill. I agree. But if lying about your resume is disqualifying to be a member of Congress, I don't think we'll have we'll have maybe what four congressmen. So, <laughs> the, I think we really need to apply the same rules to everyone. Yep. So let's look at Joe Biden. I mean, the guy is he can't walk from one side of the Oval Office to the other side of the Oval Office without telling a lie. In 1987, when he ran for president the first time. He plagiarized complete speeches from Neil Kinnock, a Labor Party uh, uh, candidate for prime minister in England, and presented it as if it was, it was his own life. That was in 1988. It was right? in 88, it was 87. So I stand well, corrected. Well, going into the 88 presidential election, he was out by the, time he, by the time he did that. And it was amazing. They did a split screen. They'd hear him talking, and then they'd show Neil Kinnock talking. I never thought we'd ever see him again as a candidate after that. Well, it, it really is quite remarkable. I mean, I guess, I guess no one is ever officially dead in politics unless they are dead. Um, so, so even then, if they're in Chicago, they're not dead. <laughs> vote early, vote often. Well, Lyndon Johnson, of course, thought that any dead person could vote. Uh, I mean, there's that famous story going from headstone to headstone, and someone's not taking down a name. And he says, what about this person's name? He says, I can't read the headstone. He says, well, that person has every much, every much right to vote as that person and points to another headstone. So this is the similar kind of thing. But, you know, and then, of course, when he runs, for, when he's running for president this time, he tells a story about how Golda Meir during the Six-Day War reached out to him so that he could be an interlocutor between the Israelis and the Egyptians. The problem with that is, is that uh, Golda Meir was not the prime minister at the time. And I didn't think she was. Idea, no, she was. She during the Six Day War, it was um, Moshe Dayan. No, Moshe Dayan was never prime minister. He was the defense minister. It was um, uh, drawing a blank, but it was not Golda Meir. It was. Give me two seconds here. Um, uh, in Six Day War, it was Levi Eshkol. Sorry, Levi Eshkol was the prime minister at the time. So, but of course, he was also a third-year law student at Syracuse. So why the Israelis would be reaching out to a third-year law student to be an interlocutor between themselves and an existential threat in Egypt to save the country is anybody's guess. But these are the kinds of lies, you know, that, that the guy tells. And of course, he recent, when he was leading into the South uh, Carolina primary, he famously made the speech about how he was arrested when he went to go visit Nelson Mandela in the 1970s. Of course, that never happened. He got separated from the group, and that's and then that that's what the story ended up being. Well, I misspoke. 
So if you're going to just if, if you're going to say that lies are disqualifiers, Joe Biden can't be president. Look at Elizabeth Warren. The whole woman predicated her entire political life on the fact that she was a Native American. She takes a, a DNA test, and it turns out she's one one thousand twenty fourth Native American. You have to go back ten generations to find any Native American blood in the woman. Yet she tells the entire country, "I'm Native American. That's how I identi- that's how I identify. That's who I am." She completely makes up who she is. She lies on job applications. Harvard still will not turn over her job application for fear that everyone will see that she put down that she was Native American. When she was in Texas, when she left the Texas bar, she filled it in her own hand that she was Native American. So, and when she ran for president, of course, when it first started, she was holding herself out as Native American. So should, should she be forced out of the Senate? And then you have Richard Blumenthal, who, when he ran for Senate, portrayed himself as a Vietnam War hero, having seen action in Vietnam. Of course, that never happened. He got five deferments. After the fourth deferment, he, he, uh, he, he, got, he worked his way into being in Marine Reserve. And the most notable thing he did as a Marine Reserve is he ran a Toy for Tots program. It may make him a community organizer, but it certainly doesn't make him a war hero. I mean, but I think the long and the short of it is telling a lie about your resume just can't be a disqualifier. That's between the elected official and the voters. I have every confidence that the voters will get it right when George Santos runs again. Now, of course, if he's convicted of a crime, that's something completely different. And he may well have committed a crime, and that should be investigated because God knows what this person is capable of. Eric, do you think, uh, this David Patterson, do you think that sometimes the situation is not as much that he lied, but there were seven or eight of them, so it almost makes it... Governor, what's the number? Is it three lies are enough, but four is too many? Five are enough, but six is too no, many? I, I, see, six I'm asking enough, you. Seven is too many? I, I, no, no, I don't. No, I don't. I, I don't think. I don't. The only to me, unless someone has committed a crime, the only arbiters of who sits in these seats are the voters. They make the decision, because otherwise, you, we're coming up with the, the morality police, self-anointed judges. That can't be the rule. That can't be, the Constitution provides very strict limits about who or requirements about who can sit in Congress. And if you meet them, you get seated. And it does not say liars don't get seated. It has to be up to the voters because it can't be. Otherwise, it's an arbitrary number. I mean, he, he lies that he's Jewish. Turns out he's Catholic. He lies that he's a you know, grandson, grandchild of a Holocaust we don't survivor. Want him either. Turns out that's false. But. What's worse, lying that you're Jewish or being a Jew hater? It's okay for AOC to sit. It's okay for Elon Omar to sit. Mm. It's okay for Rashida Tlaib to sit. You know, you could say a lot of things about George Santos, none of which are particularly favorable. But I haven't seen any evidence that he's a Jew hater. But I've seen a lot of evidence that they are. AOC is now claiming she's Jewish. Who's claiming she's Jewish? AOC. She said she looked back and found uh, Jewish ancestry dating back to the Spanish Inquisition coming from the Sephardic oh, she, Jews. Oh, oh my God. Yes. She must be a Marana. She must be a Marana. No doubt. I'd like to see that one. That's okay. what she said. Well, that's great. Whatever. You know, she, if she wants to convert to Judaism, God bless her. You know, I doubt that she ever will. All I know is that her, her stated positions on Israel denying Israel's right to exist as a Jewish state. You're doing everything she can to undermine Israel's existence and compromise its security. 
these are the acts of an anti-Semite. Rashida Tlaib, of course, actually has used language of genocide when she talks about uh, Judenrein, Jewish free from the, uh, from the river to the sea. Those are the exact same words that the Mufti of Jerusalem was using when he went to speak to Hitler about how they were going to remove the Jews from the promised land. That's right. So this, she talks in terms of the genocide. So George Santos is a despicable person. I mean, there's no two ways about that. But the problem is, what's, what's the barometer of despicability that kicks people out? That's why it's got to be left to the voter. If you satisfy the constitutional requirements, you seat, you sit, and then you got to face the voters. And if they don't like you, they'll kick you out. If they like you, they'll re-elect you. And that, that's how the system's got to work. You're absolutely right. I think you're right because the fact once they vote for a speaker, the congressman, and I hate to say this, they're all pawns. They're, they're, they're all going to vote with the speaker, whatever it is. Not, they're not, they don't have any big accomplishment, uh, either one of them. No, it, it, Congress has to start working a little, little bit better. I um, agree 100%. I mean, I, Thank you. No question. Happy New Year. Thank you so much. Happy and, New Year uh, to you. And we'll catch up next year. Look forward to it. Thank you, Thank you. Thanks for having me. And now we have former uh, uh, district attorney of Staten Island and former congressman in Staten Island, uh, Dan Donovan, and he's got a new business. And uh, today's the last day of uh, 2022. Dan Donovan, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, John, to you, Margo, and the kids, and everybody at WABC. Uh, tell us about your new business. Well, John, I was fortunate enough to be asked to serve as the chairman of a digital asset company uh, called Token X. It is a parent company which has many verticals underneath it, one of which is a company, Token Hi-Fi, which is providing financial services for those in an industry that are unable to use traditional banking methods now, and that's those in the legal cannabis business. Because cannabis is still a scheduled narcotic under the federal criminal laws and the health laws, uh, people in the legal business of cannabis, whether they be growing, dispensing uh, cannabis products, uh, providing fertilizer for those who are growing, they can't use traditional banking methods because uh, federally insured banks can't accept their money. So what's happened, John, is it turns into an all-cash business where uh, this is the a legal business that can't use our traditional financial services. So uh, Token Hi-Fi has created a blockchain method using tokens for those people in this business to be able to transfer value, transfer wealth, pay their bills. And most importantly, and I know Governor David Patterson is a great friend of both of us, and he would understand this better than others, uh, because of the tokenization, every transaction is monitored so the state knows what sales tax it's used, that it's, it's entitled to. And we know in all-cash businesses, nobody pays the taxes that they're supposed to, and we have found the solution for the states to collect their taxes in this business as well. That's amazing. Yeah, John, it's a, 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 why we're being embraced so much, and we're starting off in the first quarter in Nevada and Arizona is because the governments there have seen that uh, they could collect up to about 98% of the taxes because each transaction is monitored through the blockchain, and they know exactly uh, who has sold a product for what, what purpose. So you use a cryptocurrency? I, I didn't understand that. Tell us, tell us exactly it, what it was. 
It's a little different than crypto, John. And crypto, most crypto, like people are familiar with Bitcoin, they change in value. Our tokens stay the same. The value is $1. They never change. Uh, they don't fluctuate. So there's security in this uh, utility coin uh, that if you get one coin, it's worth a dollar. If you trade one coin, it's worth a dollar. So nobody has a fear of uh, buying something at a certain price and when they go to sell it or, or ask for their – So what happens? The customer uses those uh, those to pay for the, uh, for the, um, the marijuana? Yeah, well, what they pay for, it's only business to business. We don't use – consumers aren't involved here. You don't go into a dispensary and buy your legal marijuana using our system. It's only businesses, people who – And is there know, a bank behind this? It, well, there's no there's no banks behind it because they, they're not federally insured banks. So there are credit unions, trusts that, that are behind it, uh, those who aren't insured by the federal government – uh, therefore, the money that they can accept the money where a traditional bank, your your local uh, community bank would not be able to accept your money. But, Dan, uh, this is David Patterson. But the businesses would then be uh, the cash businesses would now be paying taxes, which they rarely do in these days. Exactly. Governor, you understand it better than most. Governor, the amount of money that the state loses in revenue from people in a cash business who don't pay their sales tax. We have developed a way now, Governor, where every single transaction, if, if you are, are supplying fertilizer to my farm that grows cannabis products, that transaction is recorded on the token. The state knows there has been a sale and they're owed this amount of money in taxes. So the states that we're talking to now are going to accept tax payments in these tokens as well. Is, is the state going to make a requirement that these cannabis people have to use it? That is our hope, John. That is a wonderful question, and that is our hope. They're going to tell the folks that are in the business that if you're going to deal in this legalized business, part of your license agreement is that you use the token high five product so that we could tell when a transaction occurs and we could collect our taxes. Um, Dan Donovan, we wish you luck. We, uh, you, you've always done a great job for Staten Island, and uh, and uh, whatever we can do, do to help, or whatever WABC can do to help, you let us know. Appreciate that, John. Best of luck with you and, and, and the governor, and have a great, great New Year. And Happy New Year. And uh, let's take a break, and when we come back, we're coming back with Dr. Peter Michalos. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And this is going to be the last interview of the year on, on Cats at Night. And to come for, in for that honor, we have uh, Margot Katsimatidis. Margot, welcome to the studio. Hello, everyone, and happy pre-New Year. Do you have a New Year's resolution yet, Margot? I didn't get that far. It's too far away. <laughs> Margot, uh, your favorite doctor is on the, on the phone. Hey, Peter, how are you? I'm doing great, and we all have to thank John and Margot for allowing us to speak and get the truth out on uh, the Cats Roundtable every day and continue to get the message out like we're going to do tonight, and we're going to finish the last show with fantastic news about COVID. The prestigious New England Journal of Medicine published results the other day, and yesterday morning we actually talked about we're waiting for some new pills, and then 7 o'clock last night, they came out with the publication that showed that a new pill called VV116 was able to help slow down COVID in mild to moderate cases and that it actually worked better, they reported, than Paxlovid with less side effects. 
And the trick was to take it immediately after diagnosis, and the pills block all the variants, and they don't have to be variant-specific like vaccines or antibodies have to be. And they also found there were fewer side effects than Paxlovid, and you got better one day sooner. So what we have to realize that, you know, another RNA virus called AIDS and HIV, 40 years later, we still don't have a vaccine. But thank God, these antiviral pills, and then they mixed up different ones and made cocktails, and that's what stopped AIDS. And it looks like this is going to really help us a lot, especially this new pill that's in the phase three trial. That's one step before it could potentially get emergency authorization, less interactions with other medicines, such as the seizure medicine, high blood pressure medicine, sleeping pills, and statins. That was a problem with some of the Paxlovid data. And the prestigious Johns Hopkins University, Dr. Panagis Taliatzatos, spoke to the media today and also said that this will be a game changer. In addition, Gilead scientists who uh, made its own IV antiviral remdesivir is working on their own oral version. And the other interesting thing about the study was that results were consistent despite the vaccine status that someone may have had. So this is all great news to finish the new year and help us one step closer to come out of the pandemic. And there's lots of herd immunity out there because so many people have gotten sick, in the, especially in the tri-state area, in the last six months. So hopefully this will be the beginning of the end and we can get it. Of course, people still have to be careful if you're high risk. We still lose 20 to 50,000 people a year with regular flu. So we have to be respectful of it. And we hope that this uh, new Chinese uh, uh, flu that we're hearing about, the new COVID, uh, is not a new strain or a new super strain. But so far, it looks like nationally the ICU beds are not filling up beyond 10, 10%, only, 10% only with COVID patients. So that's a good sign that we're going to go into the new year in, in better shape. And again, we want to thank everyone, wish them Happy New Year, all our EMS, doctors, nurses, firefighters, police, FBI, and all our law enforcement that keeps us safe as we go into the new year. And uh, Margo, you had a question? You all. No, I don't have a question. I just want to say, Dr. Mihilos, we wanted to thank you so much, WABC, for all the invaluable information that you've given to all of our reader, listeners all over the country and the world, in fact. You've opened up eyes to so many people and made them actually look at themselves, their body, and their health. And so we appreciate you. We love you. And thank you very much. Well, thank you, Dr. Mihalos. Your your advice that you've given all our listeners have uh, been very healthy advice. And and I'm sure it's helped a lot of our listeners. And and God loves you. And uh, thank you for for doing that. And uh, this is our last broadcast of the year. TGIF, thank God it's Friday. New Year's is tomorrow night, uh, New Year's Eve, and then New Year's Day is Sunday. Right. Uh, we'll be back with the Cats Roundtable on Sunday, which uh, actually is pre-taped on Friday this year. Okay. Well, thank you. And what do we stand for, guys? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and the American way. way. God bless America. Thank you so much. <laughs> Dr. Michalos, thank you again. Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.